In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus began to speak to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a feast for his son's wedding. He sent his servants to call those who had been invited, but they would not come. Next, he sent some more servants. Tell those who have been invited, he said, that I have my banquet all prepared. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they were not interested. One went off to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, maltreated them, and killed them. The king was furious. He dispatched his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their town. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but as those who were invited proved to be unworthy, go to the crossroads in the town and invite everyone you can find to the wedding. So these servants went out onto the roads and collected together everyone they could find, bad and good alike. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to look at the guests, he noticed one man who was not wearing a wedding garment and said to him, How did you get in here, my friend, without a wedding garment? And the man was silent. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the dark, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord The significance of a meal can never be overstated. It is clear that food is more than just essential for our species' survival. For survival needs people everywhere could eat the same food to be measured only in calories, fats, carbohydrates, proteins and vitamins. But a meal is also an important social event. We celebrate weddings, anniversaries and birthdays with a meal. We honour and remember our dead at wakes and funerals with a meal. We conclude business discussions and seal contracts over a meal. We deepen bonds of friendship over a meal. There is something magical, even mystical, about meals. It is no wonder that a priest was an avid promoter of basic ecclesial communities often joked that the acronym BEC should stand for Best Eating Club, alluding to the food potlucks being the most popular reason why Catholics decide to gather in small groups, if for no other reason. The first reading provides us with a description of a sumptuous feast of rich food on an unnamed mountain, which marks the end of a period of mourning. Most scholars agree that the prophet Isaiah was pointing, painting a picture of restoration for those of the house of Judah who had been taken into exile after the fall of Jerusalem to the invading Babylonians. So that mountain is Mount Zion. The exiles were returning home, and God was going to enter into a new relationship with them. The scene recalls another banquet that took place on another mountain. In Exodus chapter 24, 
Moses and the seventy elders whom he has chosen go up to Sinai, the mountain of the Lord, where they feasted. It was not just a social celebration, but a covenant meal, sealing their relationship with God who had brought them out of Egypt and then blessed them with the law, food and water. By the time of the restoration of Israel in Isaiah's prophetic vision, would not only be a time of a new exodus, but also a time of conquest. The banquet celebrates God's ultimate victory over man's greatest enemy, suffering and death, where he will destroy death forever, wipe away the tears from every cheek, take away his people's shame everywhere on earth. It will be a banquet which is not only confined to the leaders of Israel as during the Exodus, nor even confined to the Jews. It would be a banquet which the Lord prepares for all peoples. And this meal would be held in plain sight and not hidden behind the walls of the temple where the Jewish perform their rites in secrecy, nor behind a veil which concealed the Holy of Holies. What the Old Testament promises, the Gospel fulfills, and we see this in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus often finds himself in the middle of a feast. He also seemed to enjoy a hearty meal and did not refuse any opportunity to dine with his hosts and guests. Table fellowship among the Jews was a big deal. Pharisees did not dine with people whom they regarded were below their stature because they saw each meal as eating with God. This is where our Lord was subject to their ire because he frequently feasted with the disreputable folks like tax collectors and sinners. He concluded his public ministry and inaugurated his passion with a meal on Holy Thursday. The communion meal did not only provide our Lord with an opportunity to provide teaching to those who are in attendance, but was also the subject of his teaching parables. Today's parable of the wedding feast is one such example. Notice that Isaiah's covenant meal has now morphed into a wedding banquet in our Lord's parable. We already see the topology of a wedding and marriage in the Old Testament writing of Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah and the Psalms. The covenant between God and Israel is often described as a marriage and Israel's apostasy is seen as infidelity of the bride towards her spouse. Our Lord now strings together these related themes of an eschatological or end times banquet, a covenant meal, a wedding feast in this compelling parable of judgment. Our Lord describes the kingdom of heaven as a wedding banquet thrown by a king for his son, to which the king's subjects are invited. Two groups emerge those who actually attend the feast and those who do not. Perhaps the most important feature of this parable is the invitation. Though this is a wedding banquet, the bride is significantly missing from the narrative and the bridegroom, the son of the king, is not an important character in the storyline, even though the banquet is held in his honour. This would suggest that the focus is not on the wedding between the bride and bridegroom, but on the king's invitation. The focus of the parable seems to be on the response made to his invitation rather than on the feast itself. 
a rejection of a king's invitation to such an important event was unimaginable because it would be political suicide. And yet we find the invited guests turning down the invitation, not just once, but twice. And on the second instance, even abusing and killing the king's emissaries that had been sent to them to persuade them to reconsider the invitation. The first time could be seen as a grievous insult, but the second rejection was an outright act of rebellion. One can then understand the king's violent response in putting down this rebellion. When the first group of invited guests were found to be unworthy, that is, they failed to respond to the invitation, the king sends a second set of servants to gather everyone. The Greek word translated into everyone suggests outsiders, those at the fringes of society. But even though the king seems to have lowered the bar in terms of who gets to attend his son's wedding banquet, it does not mean that all and sundry would get to enjoy the sumptuous banquet of rich food and rich wine. One man was expelled because he was not wearing the proper attire. Now, could we be excluded from salvation for one such petty reason as improper dressing? Perhaps we can find a clue to the symbolism when you heed the words of St. Paul that we too must clothe ourselves with heartfelt mercy, with kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 13. We finally come to the final saying of our Lord in this passage. For many are called, but few are chosen. To describe it as cryptic would be an understatement. It is definitely not suggesting that salvation is for an elite few. Personally, I'm comforted by such passages as 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul says that God wills everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So what does this sentence mean? St. Jerome, the great doctor of the church and father of the Bible says that the chosen are those who accept the call and do not reject the invitation like the first guest or who do not accept it fully like the man who comes to the dinner but does not dress in a proper manner. Our God came to earth and became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ to prove his love for us and to extend a personal invitation to each and every one of his sons and daughters to come and join him at the banquet table that he has prepared for us in his heavenly kingdom. It is an open invitation. Salvation is not something we earn. It is an invitation that we are free to either accept or reject. Merely claiming that we have received the invitation is no guarantee that one is able to partake in the wedding feast of the kingdom. That invitation must be accepted, not just on our own terms, but on God's terms. So it is crucial to remember that salvation won by Jesus for the sake of all is not applied automatically. It requires that to attain eternal life, each individual must, to the extent of his or her understanding, accept and live in the grace worn by Christ. We must take care 
to clothe ourselves with heartfelt mercy, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.